friends if they were super villains. We're really, you and I, just advocating for the nicest seeming people being the best evil ones. I was advocating for the nicest people that we know, the most genuinely kind-hearted, thoughtful, considerate people we know. If those people decide to give up on humanity and become supervillains, I don't think there's anything that any of us can do about it because they know what it's like to be very kind and to be able to get people to respond to that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Should they mm -hmm. lose their morals, we're all doomed. Right. That's what I'm saying. This is why we love a multifaceted villain. I love that you and I didn't even make the cut. Neither of us suggested. No. (sighs) Neither of us would be the most impactful supervillain. We should work on that. This all came out of a friend of ours very kindly dropping off a care package to another friend of ours, but needing to manipulate her way into the apartment complex in order to do so. And very successfully doing it. Yeah, it was an act of evil, quote unquote, for the forces of good. Mm -hmm. But just imagine that power in the wrong hands. That's what I'm saying. I think think if the, the best kind of person who can do that kind of thing decides to turn evil, we're doomed. I think you and I really need to up our game, which means we either need to get kinder and more empathetic so that our fall from grace can be even better, but that's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. So maybe we should just start our evil now and then we can put in our 10,000 hours and just become great at it. (laughs) I love that. I mean, CK already said that you strike him as someone who would have a dungeon, so you're doing great. Oh, thank you. That that was one of the nicest compliments a guest has ever said. <laughs> I really felt good. seen and appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, and this is shamefully American, but but any compliment in Scottish is is better. It's better. It's, it's better. better. I'm sorry, it I is. shouldn't say it, but it's just fact. I don't have anything to argue with because it's true and I can't argue that. (laughs) (laughs) My villainous rise to power is already beginning. No one can argue with me about accents. (laughs) (laughs) She's too powerful already. Hi, I'm Rowan Hall. I am too powerful already. Hi, I'm Tracy Harrison and I'm watching Rowan's power grow by the minute. And this is Willing and Fable. We're the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and villainy that makes the world so fascinating. And if you would like to support us, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It's a big help. You can also shop our fun merch at willingandfable.com, or you can enjoy our secret Discord and become a patron at patreon.com slash willingandfable. Lastly... You can place a simmer pot on the stove filled with your favorite ingredients and sit by an open window as the scents waft gently through the air. But no matter what you do, just know that we appreciate you. That was so wholesome. (laughs) You can be a villain and still be wholesome. You can be a villain and still live in a Studio Ghibli moment. (gasps) That's what I was imagining when I wrote that, just the... That classic, you know, all you want to eat all the food in those movies. Oh my God, yes. I wanted that, like a simmer pot that looks like that. You just want to dive into and in a world that's just bright and it's got flowers and beautiful smells and food you want to eat. That's the energy I want for all of you today. (laughs) 
Hey, listeners, also, last thing, if you want to send us a story, we want to read it. So head over to willingandfable.com slash contact, email us at willingandfable at gmail.com. We want to know about your grandmother's uncle's cousin's big fish tale. We want to hear about that time that you were haunted for all of college by this one aggressive ghost. We want to know about your near-death experience. We want to know about... Your, your, I don't know, whatever else we want to know about. That Send- cryptid that you saw, the the cool house that's in your neighborhood. Do you remember that old 100-year-old barn in the neighborhood that I grew up in before my family moved? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That Yeah. Ugh. I want stories like that. I want to hear about your, your small town's little spot. Ours is a tunnel that you can drive through that we all know about. Tell us anything and everything, and we will share it on the podcast because we want to share your stories. Tragically, the abandoned house, the so cool abandoned house that was behind my house in the woods, got torn down a few years ago. My haunted spot. Man, that was a cool house. We've talked about that on the podcast before. It was amazing. And high school, me had a really cute kiss back there. I definitely went ghost hunting more than once. Mm -hmm. I, I... may or may not have rifled through the belongings that were 100% shock-a-block in that house. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, hey, villainous Tracy Harrison, what the heck are we discussing today? So today's episode is all about witches, and I'm going to be talking about the Malleus Maleficarum. Real quick, I know that we started Spooky Season a few episodes ago, but mm-hmm. uh, to me, this episode really sealed the deal. Yeah. I am in spooky mode. This is truly spooky. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know I did Vanishing Hitchhikers, but there's just something about getting to do an entire episode on witches. Witches, man! Mm-hmm. It... I want a shirt now that just says witches, comma, man. <laughs> witches, man! <laughs> No one is going to know what the heck that means. No, I just want it. Witches, man. (laughs) Witches, man. I don't even want it to be a reference to this podcast. I just want a shirt that says that because that's the energy I carry with me all the time. (laughs) First one of us to use it outside of the podcast in conversation has to get bought Starbucks by the loser. It's going to be you who wins that because you always throw these gauntlets down and then I forget five minutes later and then you remember and do it. So (laughs) when do you want your Starbucks delivered? Just give me a date. (laughs) I cannot be held responsible for your shabby memory. (laughs) I'm not. I'm offering you Starbucks. You just let me know when you want that matcha. Aw. All right. You sweet, (laughs) sweet bean. Talk to me about... Witches, man. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) I have to share what I titled this episode in our document, which was only for me and Rowan to laugh at, but now it's for all of you, because I called this episode Witches, Bitches. But don't forget the rest. What comes after? Oh, there was a winky winky face next to it, (laughs) because I wanted Rowan to know that I was kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't have known if you hadn't I, I, put the winky face. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I okay, Tracy. I told a person who's never met you mm-hmm. yesterday that you and I basically raised each other. We did because we grew up together in the same little crucible. We mm-hmm. we made each other into the weird golem <laughs> beings we are now. And if you honestly uh-huh. think that I would have read witches bitches and not known you were kidding without a <laughs> winky face it's not that i i just listen i was writing this very i was writing it very sleep deprived and i was so worried that you'd be like well it's a really funny goof but you know we can't make that the title that's not going to be something like i thought you were going to treat me so kindly and i was going to have to come back with like Ooh, ooh, it was it was just a goof. <laughs> Can I have the goof, please? <laughs> Brother, may I have a goof? <laughs> I texted Tracy at 4.30 a.m. last night with a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and she just texted me back, go to sleep. <laughs> because she was, was waking up in the morning. It was the most pitiful... Okay. <laughs> that See? was the tone I read that response in was just okay. And that's the right tone because you know, <laughs> Tracy, you know. Just like I know. All right. All right, witches, witches bitches. Let's get started. We're talking about the Malleus Maleficarum, which is famously and usually translated as the Hammer of Witches. <laughs> this book is... <laughs> I'm sorry. It makes me laugh every time. I Every time I just think of either a giant hammer smashing a bunch of tiny witches like Uh Bugs Bunny or I just Uh picture a bunch of witches running around with giant hammers. Like there's no... Both are good. Both are good. Both are valid. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, it's neither of those things. It is the best known treatise on witchcraft. Bummer. I know. It was written by the Catholic clergyman Heinrich Kramer and was first published in the German city of Speyer in 1486. It's been described as the compendium of literature in demonology of the 15th century. And top theologians of the Inquisition at the Faculty of Cologne condemned the book as recommending unethical and illegal procedures, as well as being inconsistent with the Catholic doctrines of demonology. That is actually shocking. You started Mm -hmm. with top theologians of the Inquisition. Uh, And I just went, oh, that sentence is going to end with murder. And it doesn't, surprisingly. (laughs) This book was really controversial. It it was, it didn't get um, a ton of love until I think about a hundred years maybe after it was first published. Okay. The Malleus Maleficarum elevated sorcery to the criminal status of heresy and recommended it be prosecuted as such, which at the time mostly meant being burned alive. Seriously? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's It was recommended that you burn people alive, which is, I think, where a lot of the imagery of witches being burned came from, which did happen. It just didn't happen in the Salem witch trials, which we always associate with. In the Salem witch trials, they were just almost exclusively hung right wow okay sure sure Mm -hmm. if you (laughs) okay if you tracy got Mm -hmm. to live your whole life 
with satanic powers, like the kind of powers that the Catholic Church thought these witches had. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, you had to be burned alive. Would you do it? (sighs) And keep in mind, a lot of the witch trials thought that these witches could see the future. So presumably you also know eventually you might be burned at the stake. Yeah, you know what? I would pull a um, Agnes Nutter from Good Omens and, like, make a big scene of it and write a whole book and do the whole prophecies. That's what I would do. Oh, absolutely. Scorched earth policy. Yes. Oh, foreshadowing for my story. All right. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so I should note that the Malleus Maleficarum was not the only document about witchcraft written in the medieval period, but it was the best known of its time. This was likely because it came so soon after Gutenberg's printing revolution, and it was thus more widely distributed than previous hand-copied manuals. All right, Rowan, I'm about to read you an absolutely wild sentence. Kramer wrote the Malleus following his expulsion from Innsbruck by the local bishop due to charges of illegal behavior against Kramer himself and because of Kramer's obsession with the sexual habits of one of the accused, Helena Schuberin, which led the other tribunal members to suspend the trial. What? Yeah. Yeah, a dude was obsessed sexually with a woman that was about to be killed for being a witch. That sounds about par for the course, right? Like, right? Yeah, I did not know the Malleus Maleficarum was written because a guy saw a woman being accused, was so deeply obsessed with her that he then got charges against him and left and was like, I'm writing a book about what a bad woman she is. Yeah, because a dude can get charges against him and be like, nah-uh, nah-uh. I'm mm-hmm. I'm a guy. I'm writing a book about it and you can't get me in trouble. And a girl is over here like, oh, shoot, I made my local creep mad and now I'm getting burned alive. So let's get into this. I had to research this more because I could not believe that sentence. Helena Schuberin was an Austrian woman who stood trial accused of witchcraft in 1485. On trial at Innsbruck, Schubrin was accused of having used magic to murder the noble knight Jorg Spice. Schubrin was described as an aggressive, independent woman who was not afraid to speak her mind. (laughs) Shortly after Kramer's arrival in the city, she had passed him in the street, spat, and cursed him publicly, saying, Fie on you, you bad monk! May the falling evil take you! Oh, I love her. (laughs) Later, it was discovered that she was not attending Kramer's sermons and encouraged others to do likewise, all of which was brought against her as charges for the crime of witchcraft. (gasps) Helena even disrupted one of his sermons by loudly proclaiming that she believed him to be an evil man in league with the devil. So she just knew. She knew he was a creepy creep. Mm -hmm. And she stood up for herself and the people around her. So, during the trial, six other women were implicated and accused of sorcery. Some of the local authorities at this point still in general regarded sorcery as a minor offense and did not necessarily associate it with Satan. The accused were eventually released after putting up a bond to appear should the case be resumed. 
In the end, Helena Schubert and the other six women were all either freed or received mild sentences in the form of penance. Yay! Yeah. Kramer didn't like that. Oh. He was like, no, that's too good for them. So he stayed in Innsbruck and continued his investigations. But he eventually left after the bishop expelled him for insanity and his obsessions towards Helena. It's so creepy. He returned to Cologne and wrote a treatise on witchcraft, which became the Malleus Maleficarum, which was an instructional guide for identifying witches. If you are attracted to her, she's a witch. If she says, fie on you, she's a witch. Basically. She can tell you're a creep. (laughs) She's a witch. There's just something extra creepy about that whole story to me. An entire book that was used to murder mostly women was written because a sad, horny old man was spurned by a really cool woman. I need the book, and I'm sure it exists. Listeners, please tell us. That is just all of the times in history that a sad, horny old man messed things up for the rest of us. Mm Mm-hmm. That's basically our podcast. Oh! Oh! I have to ask, because this was all I could think of when I was researching that part of the story. Does it not have Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame vibes? Oh, a thousand percent. And just to be clear, he is one of the ultimate Disney villains. His song? Oh, one, it's incredible. But two, so creepy. Oh my god, the creepiest. Yeah, 100%. This man is the Frollo of this story's Disney movie musical. (laughs) (laughs) He, to be so horribly obsessed with a woman to have the bishop kick you out that's bad right because i mean listen the catholic church just moved around a bunch of priests who molested and raped children Mm -hmm. so imagine it's bad so moving on from kramer to the other famous author of the malleus maleficarum jacob sprenger His name was added as an author beginning in 1519, 33 years after the book's first publication and 24 years after Sprenger's death. The veracity of this late edition has been questioned by many historians for a variety of reasons. Mostly, it's been claimed that Sprenger cannot be linked to any witch trial. His personal relationship to Kramer was acrimonious, and Sprenger used his powerful position whenever he could to make Kramer's life and work as difficult as possible. Hmm. Some scholars now believe that he became associated with the Malleus Maleficarum largely as a result of Kramer's wish to lend his book as much official authority as possible, because Sprenger was a pretty well-known authority in the church at the time. Hmm. So while we can absolutely lay... The credit or the blame at Kramer's feet, it's less certain if we can do so with Springer. But I'm willing to toss him in there anyway. He didn't seem like the best dude. Right. He didn't do anything to stop it, so that kind of thing. No. Yeah. Okay. Joan Johnson Lewis writes for ThoughtCo that, quote, After Pope Innocent VIII received communication from two German monks, he issued a papal bull in 1484 that gave full authority to the two inquisitors 
threatening with excommunication or other sanctions any who molested or hindered in any manner their work. This is presumably referencing Sprenger and Kramer as the authors of the Malleus Maleficarum. This bull, called the Sumus Desunderantis Affectibus, or Desiring with Supreme Ardor, from its opening words put the pursuit of witches clearly in the neighborhood of pursuing heresy and promoting the Catholic faith. This threw the weight of the whole church behind the witch hunts now. It also strongly argued that witchcraft was heresy not because it was a superstition, but because it represented a different kind of heresy. Those practicing witchcraft, the book argued, made agreements with the devil and cast harmful spells. The idea being it's easier to make someone else look bad than it is to make yourself look good. Yeah. I find it so interesting that it, so basically Pope Innocent VIII is the reason witchcraft became seen as a heretical act, which as we saw before, Helena Schuberin got off easy because it wasn't considered that big of a deal. The Pope's name is ironic, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I find it ironic anytime a Pope chooses to name Innocent. It's like a, that historical fiction book. God, do you remember that series they had in our elementary school library? It was like Girls in History, and it was historical fiction, and they would just set like a f- character in a time period and then write a fake journal for her. Are you talking about the princess ones? Because I tried to get someone to know what those were the other day, and no one knew what they were. Yes. The only one I can remember is Remember Patience Whipple, which is, I think, about a, a pilgrim? girl oh i think we're talking about different books because mine was the books that i read was like cleopatra's diary and then it was like queen elizabeth's diary no, no, no yes it's from that i think it's i think god i think it's from that same series she mine the one i remember she's just not a princess mm, okay 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 yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i remember i'm remembering the covers of these <laughs> <laughs> they're very specific <laughs> yes they are okay so back to the other book we're talking about <laughs> Okay. All right. So, would you like to know what is in the Malleus Maleficarum? Yes, because presumably there's no hammers and there's no bulls in this story. Well, there's a papal bull. Uh... <laughs> okay, so it starts with part one is the justification or the introduction. Two is a copy of that papal bull I mentioned that basically says, I'm the Pope and witchcraft is heresy. Next is what's called the approbation by professors of theology at University of Cologne. This part is actually fully titled the approbation of the following treatise and the signatures thereunto of the doctors of the illustrious University of Cologne follows in the form of a public document. It contains the unanimous approval of the Malleus Maleficarum by all the doctors of the theological faculty at the University of Cologne. Really open this book up with just reason after reason after proof after support that he can. He's really shoving it in your face before he even gets to what this is about. Because the next thing, number four, is the table of contents. (laughs) I don't think that's the order books go in, my dude. (laughs) 
Number five is the main text of the book in three sections. Why do I feel like that section's smaller than all the rest? Can you, yeah, right? The whole book really is just people saying that he's right, and then it's six pages of him talking. No, it's more than that. But I, in my head, that's what it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> the first section of the Malleus Maleficarum was to answer skeptics who thought that witchcraft was just a superstition, which was a view shared by some previous popes. This part of the book attempted to prove that the practice of witchcraft was real, and those practicing witchcraft really did make agreements with the devil and cause harm to others. Beyond that, the section asserts that not believing in witchcraft is itself heresy. The second section sought to prove that real harm was caused by witches, and the third was a manual for the procedures to investigate arrest and punish witches. This book asserts that there are three elements necessary for witchcraft. The evil intentions of the witch, to the help of the devil, and the permission of God. What? Which confused me, but sure. Listen, I think, no, I don't know. Listen, that's what he wrote. So going back to those sections. So that's kind of his, his main text of the book. The first section is really focused at the clergy. And it's trying to refute the critics who say witchcraft isn't real, which means they would hinder prosecution and thereby hinder everything that Kramer wants to happen because he hates women. The book examines witchcraft from the point of view of theology and philosophy, and it looks at whether witchcraft is real or imaginary. Eventually, the conclusion is drawn that witchcraft must be real, because the devil is real, and since witches enter a pact with the devil, then witches must be real. Oh, buddy. Yeah, it's very A equals B equals C sort of logic. So, second part of the Malleus Maleficarum looks at real cases of witchcraft. According to Hans Peter Brodel in the book The Malleus Maleficarum and the Construction of Witchcraft, Theology and Popular Belief, the Malleus Maleficarum states that it is mostly witches, as opposed to the devil, who do the recruiting. By making something go wrong in the life of a respectable matron that makes her consult the knowledge of a witch, or by introducing young maidens to tempting young devils. Okay, sure, yeah. Convert me. <laughs> yeah. So the whole second section is basically... Here are real cases of witchcraft, and also witches get other witches to be witches, bitches. <laughs> Direct <laughs> quote. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I took that directly from the book. The third and final section of the book is where we talk about law and the proper way to prosecute a witch. Brodel states that the section offers a step-by-step -step guide to the conduct of a witch trial, from the method of initiating the process and assembling accusations to the interrogation, including torture, of witnesses, and the formal charging of the accused. It's a great formula. Section 1. This is all sanctioned by your God. Mm -hmm. Section 2. You know that woman you hate? Let's kill her. Section 3. We're going to make the murder part fun, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah. Well, and don't forget, before all of that is 84 thousand pages on why everyone in power in the church agrees with him right 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 yeah uh the 
the science people say yes, the God people say yes, the law people say yes, the, just all of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Could I and think of the he... titles? No, I could not. Law no one people should. is it. <laughs> no one should. That's that's their official title. It's science sealed delivered. <laughs> Rowan, what are you going to college for? Oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna become a law people. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all really proud of you, honey. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> do you want to hear a really depressing fact? Oh yeah, I do. You know I do. Women who did not cry during their trial were automatically assumed to be witches. Oh, and it gets even worse. And here's how I know without a shadow of a doubt that Kramer was super misogynistic and hated women. Because he writes in his text that women are more susceptible to demonic temptations through the manifold weaknesses of their sex. It was believed that they were weaker in faith and more carnal than men. Michael Bailey, in the book Battling Demons, Witchcraft, Heresy, and Reform in the Late Middle Ages, claims that most of the women accused as witches had strong personalities and were known to defy convention by overstepping the lines of proper female decorum. The major reason is that at the foundation of sorcery is denial of faith, and woman, therefore, is evil as a result of nature, because she doubts more quickly in the faith. Okay, here's the thing. I am weaker of faith and more carnal and have a stronger personality and more likely to defy convention than that pathetic little man. So, yes, actually. I like that take on it. That That is a much better take than me just getting so heated when reading this. Overstepping the lines of proper female decorum? Yes, thank you. What line? Where is it? It's so far away from me. I must be a witch. <laughs> Remember, a big part of, and that was eye-opening for me, a big part of in this text being a witch is that you must have evil intent. I do have evil intent. I want that man to oh, suffer. Oh, me too. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> me too. Okay, I have to keep going because I'm going to <laughs> lose it. I hear you asking, Rowan. I hear you asking. But what about men? But what about men? Mm -hmm. But what about men? So men could be witches, but they were considered rarer. And the reason was also different. Because women, right? Yeah. The most common form of male witch mentioned in the book is the sorcerer archer, which is now a class I want to play in D&D. Thank yes! you very much. <laughs> the book's rather unclear, but the impetus behind male witches seems to come more from a desire for power than from disbelief or lust, as is the claim for female witches. No way. No way. Okay, going by Malleus logic... If there are male witches, it's because we were like, yo, my dude, it's real carnal over here. It's a week of faith. Right? But it explains – it's such a misogynistic perspective because all the imagery of early witches of them, like, dancing naked in the moonlight is such a – it's like, well, they want to because they're, they're carnal and they have this lust for the devil. And it's just a sad, horny old man who hates women, who hates that women have any sense of self at all – tearing them down. Do you think he's feeling an immense amount of guilt about the fact that he might want to dance naked in the moonlight with a bunch of ladies? 
I think it's less guilt and more extreme impotence at himself and and who he is as a man. Like I think it is okay. I think it is anger at women instead of dealing with his own shortcomings and whatever that means. Hey buddy, you can dance if you want to. You can leave you your can friends leave your behind. Friends behind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if your friends don't dance, nope, I don't remember the rest of the words. <laughs> oh come on, shoot! What is it? And if they, if your friends don't dance, they're no friends of mine. Okay, it was just an extra line that I was missing in there because it didn't feel like it flowed well. <laughs> this is how we convert. <laughs> <laughs> Meant to be witches. I need, I need these goofs because I got so genuinely angry doing this research. I know. I can tell, actually, when I glance at your notes. I can always tell when you're really mad because the, the paragraph breaks are more frequent. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. You're right. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I love to break up a paragraph. You, not so much. So I know when you're mad and I just imagine you like slamming that enter button. (laughs) So true. It's because I have so many more thoughts coming more quickly that I just, each thought is its own thing instead of full paragraphs of cohesive thoughts together. (laughs) Uh, Maybe someday we'll post our show notes. Who knows? No, heck no. Nobody, no, no. Oh my god, no. <laughs> Pay us a uh, thousand dollars a month on Patreon. That's the then you get a copy of the show notes. <laughs> Actually, I think a copy of the show notes to do that, I would want like a a first edition copy of the Malleus Malavacar. <laughs> Ooh. Spicy. I guess second edition, because the first edition is just this guy's one crummy. <laughs> You'd most likely get a 16th century version that seems to be the one from the Gutenberg Press seems to be the, the kinds that are floating around. Okay, come through, Gutenberg Press. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so speaking of the Malleus Maleficarum, the title, the title of this book is Feminine, which alludes to the idea that it was women who were the villains. If it was a masculine title, it would be the Malleus Maleficorum, which is the masculine form of the Latin noun for witch. And in Latin, if you were talking about both sexes together, you would just use the masculine. So the fact that it is the feminine means it is exclusively referencing women. (gasps) Do you think someone wrote a Malleus Maleficorum that's just a bunch of crummy things that men do? If not, we should. Okay. (laughs) Sigrid Bronner writes in the book, Fearless Wives and Frightened Shrews, The Construction of the Witch in Early Modern Germany, that Kramer and Sprenger develop a powerful sex-specific theory of witchcraft based on a hierarchical and dualistic view of the world. Everything exists in pairs of opposites, God and Satan, Mary and Eve, and men, or virgins, and women. Each positive principle in a pair is delineated by its negative pole. Perfection is defined not as the integration or preservation of opposites, but rather as the extermination of the negative element in a polar pair. Because women are the negative counterpart to men, they corrupt male perfection through witchcraft 
and must be destroyed. According to the Malleus, the only way a woman can avoid succumbing to her passions and becoming a witch is to embrace a life of devout chastity in a religious retreat. But the monastic life is reserved to the spiritually gifted few. Therefore, most women are doomed to become witches who cannot be redeemed, and the only recourse open to the authorities is to ferret out and exterminate all witches. <sighs> so I know that when you grow up in a culture like this one that is incredibly religious and has these rules that you are not as likely to go against it. But again, I'm hearing this and sitting here going, yeah, like let's corrupt them all. <laughs> right. Right. Basically, my, my sentence that I wrote after this, which is just how I feel about this whole thing, is, as history goes, a sad, horny old man was spurned by an outspoken woman and wrote a whole book about why actually women are the sad, horny ones and should be murdered for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's this whole book. Actually, it's not my fault. It's women and all of their horniness making my perfection less perfect. It does have a lot of Twitter energy to it, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. I get it. I see it. <sighs> He's just... I hate this man. <laughs> you know how you felt <laughs> in the Hatfields and McCoys episode? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's how I feel about him. Okay. <laughs> so according to Christopher McKay, author of the modern academic translation of the Malleus into English... The concept of sorcery as described in the Malleus is characterized by the conviction that those guilty engage in six activities. Oh, yes. One, a pact entered into with the devil. Two, sexual relations with the devil. Three, aerial flight for the purpose of attending four, an assembly presided over by Satan himself, at which initiates entered into the pact and incest and promiscuous sex were engaged in by the attendees. Five, the practice of maleficent magic. And six, the slaughter of babies. So I think you're safe, Rowan. I feel like you have not done all, you know, I would feel pretty good that you haven't engaged in aerial flight to attend. Uh, oh, I was going to say that's the only one that I've done. I've oh, done aerial oh. flight to go to an assembly presided over by Satan. <laughs> so it's like in the beginning where, where he's talking about like, you know, witchcraft is real and people engage with the pact of the devil and it's heresy. You're like, okay, I can see where people would buy into this. I can get it. He, the, you think if even one person did all six of these things, it'd be real clear. Like, it'd be really clear. No, you don't have to do all six. You just have to do a couple. It's You don't have to be a uh, burned-out former gifted kid. You just have to attend class. Which class? Okay. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rowan, how do we know that these witches really did commit all of these crimes? Well, because we said so. That's why. Yeah, obviously it's because we said so and we torture them to admit it. So let's talk about how to torture a witch as described by a sad, horny old man. Oh, no. Yeah. <sighs> Sit in a room with him while he says, well, actually. Mm. Mm. 
I just know exactly who this man is today, you know? He's, he's, anyway. He's one of those guys that talks about being a beta male. Okay, this is really specific, but you know how Rasputin, he was just so sticky. Like, we know he was a sticky man. This man, I think he's damp. He's like a damp, clammy man. Yes. Yeah, I was thinking damp and um, scratchy. Like, just everything about him is scratchy. Right, and I think his hair is thinning, which is totally fine. Not a big deal, not even noteworthy. No, but he's obsessed with it. it, Right, it really gets him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I hate him. Okay. This is a series of direct quotes from a translation of the Malleus Maleficarum on how to conduct torture to interrogate (gasps) a possible witch. In this text, he flip-flops between he and she, but both are referring to potential witches. Hmm. Okay. The method of beginning an examination by torture is as follows. First, the jailers prepare the implements of torture. Then they strip the prisoner. If it be a woman, she has already been stripped by other women who are upright and of good report. (laughs) This stripping is lest some means of witchcraft may have been sewed into the clothing such as often taught by the devil, they prepare from the bodies of unbaptized infants they murdered that they may forfeit salvation. And when the implements of torture have been prepared, the judge, both in person and through other good men, zealous in faith, tries to persuade the prisoner to confess the truth freely. But if he will not confess, he bids attendants make the prisoner fast to the strapado or some other implement of torture. The attendants obey forthwith, yet with feigned agitation. Then, at the prayer of some of those present, the prisoner is loosed again and is taken aside and once more persuaded to confess, being led to believe that he will in that case not be put to death. It must be answered that opinions vary. Some hold even a witch of very ill repute, and who, as a ringleader of the witches, is accounted very dangerous, may be assured her life, and condemned instead to perpetual imprisonment on bread and water in case she will give sure and convincing testimony against other witches. Yet this penalty of perpetual imprisonment must not be announced to her, but only that her life will be spared, and that she will be punished in some other fashion, perhaps by exile. Others hold, as to this point, that for a time the promise made to the witch sentenced to imprisonment is to be kept but that after a time, she should be burned. A third view is that the judge may safely promise witches to spare their lives, if only he will later excuse himself from pronouncing the sentence and will let another do this in his place. But, if neither by threats nor by promises such as these, the witch can be induced to speak the truth, then the jailers must carry out the sentence and torture the prisoner according to the accepted methods, And note that if he confesses under the torture, he must afterward be conducted to another place that he may confirm it and certify that it was not due alone to the force of the torture. Ah! Yeah, now you get why I've been so angry for the last 40 minutes? No, I get get it. But now... ah. First of all, dude, pick a pronoun if you're gonna condemn the she-hers. Just, like, stick to it. Anyway, anyway. Mm-hmm. Don't pretend that you're even considering that men could be doing this. Yeah, what? What? Okay. This is so insidious. Mm-hmm. <sighs> because you put 
women in a position of believing that they will be spared from harm by accusing other women. Mm -hmm. Because torture is such a powerful motivator. Hello, Mm -hmm. American justice system. Anyway. Yeah, and then to say you can promise that she won't be killed and then just have another judge come in and be like, I didn't promise that. The other judge promised it. (sighs) I always think I'm going to have such a fun time with these witch stories. And then I always end up so angry. Okay, I just have to say it, though. Acquiring this knowledge is a little fun, but not in a, like, rainbows and puppies way. I In a, like, scratching an itch kind of way. Like, I don't... Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. It's quite fun, but it's also horrifying and awful. You know what I mean? In the morbid, yeah, in the in the morbid way that that history that's long enough in the past is fun. The same way that it's also fun to learn about true crime in that morbid itch that it scratches. Right, right. This is very, very far in the past. It does give us that removal that you always wisely point out. We have a little space on this one. Mm-hmm. Also, that guy is long dead. Yeah, not long dead enough. <sighs> In 1490, only four years after its publication, the Malleus Maleficarum was denounced and a ban was placed on it. But this did little to stop its widespread use. What? I know. Between 1487 and 1520, 20 editions of the Malleus Maleficarum were published, and another 16 between 1574 and 1669. Eventually, the Malleus Maleficarum was able to spread throughout Europe rapidly due to the innovation of the printing press in the middle of the 15th century by Johannes Gutenberg. The invention of printing some 30 years before the first publication of the Malleus Maleficarum instigated the fervor of witch hunting. Kramer, my enemy, was intensely writing and preaching until his death in Bohemia in 1505 and was held in high regard by scholars and religious leaders alike. Sprenger and Kramer were considered, quote, among the glories and heroes of their order. I would have had a serious problem if I met Kramer because... Oh, no. I would have been outspoken, and he would have still been a man, and I would have still been a woman, and the trials would not have gone well. No. The best we could hope for was Helena Schuber going down in history as a woman who yelled at the man I hate the most right now. You know, this is clearly the statement of someone who has never been tried as a witch in the 1400s, but... Being killed as a witch does sound preferable to being stuck in a cell accessible for torture by the men who hate you forever. Does that mm. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like clear again, clearly, I am not in that situation. No, I can see that. It's, this it's is a little that, Monday it's... quarterbacking. Right, right. <laughs> no, I, I get that. It's it's what would you prefer, you know, because there's always hope, but also the possibility of years of torment as opposed to things being over. Yeah. It's bad. I would also love to somehow deny those men the satisfaction if I was in that scenario, but what does that even look like? The, these women mm. are in such horribly difficult positions. There's no winning. There's no winning. There's, there's, no, there's no 
there's there's no even coming out of it okay, let alone winning. There's just so little power. And these men are so afraid of the concept of these women having power that they kill them for the very idea of it. Right, but but boy witches are just in it for the power. Well, yeah, it's because women are all horny and sad. <laughs> would you like to hear the story I wrote when I was very angry? <laughs> I really would. Okay. I, I, I'm looking forward to this because... You keep having so many moments of, like, looking directly into our video call camera. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's because I, I have Rowan on a side screen, so she knows when I'm deliberately choosing to look at her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my story is a, a short poem followed by a sort of monologue. Did you write a poem? I did. You were so mad you wrote a poem you rhymed about it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is so charming. You got so angry you had to rhyme. Yeah, yeah. This is the rhyme scheme of my rage. It's a pretty basic A-A-B-B. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited that Treaty, okay. that is undeniably cute. <laughs> Exactly what you want when you're writing a poem about how angry you are at <laughs> Cute and, and super serious and terrifying. Yes, thank you. I am, what is it? I am small and cute, but also fight me. <laughs> I am small and cute, but also fight me. Though she be but little, she is fierce, you mean? You mean that Shakespeare quote? She be salty. No, there's like there's a T-shirt that someone drew where it's a cat with a oh it's it's um I'm small and sensitive but also fight me and it's a cat holding a dagger. <laughs> anyway, that's who I am. Okay, I called my story Liber Venationis, which means Book of the Hunted. To those who are hunted, to those who are prayed, to those who've been wicked, to those who have strayed. I leave you this book as an emblem of sorts, a reminder to rule inside your own courts, to never let others take what is yours, and be fearless, my dear, when settling scores. Keep your back straight and hold your head high, and always look powerful men in the eye. And when he asks why you won't repent, answer, that you have been devil sent. I am writing this book as a reminder to the world that no matter what I am, I am never what they claimed me to be. They claimed that I am wicked and wild and raw. They claimed that I'm the worst sort of creature to slink across the earth. They claim that I will do unspeakable things merely because I cannot help myself. Sometimes I wonder if they're right. It would be so much easier to give in, to become the monster that they think I am. In my darkest moments and in my deepest pain, I would give my very soul for a fraction of the violent power they claim that I possess. I would be willing to burn the world down just to watch them suffer beside me. I would stand in the middle of the flames of hell laughing as they begged me for mercy. 
but I do not have that power. The darkest irony of all is that I don't have any power. I'm in no position to even speak for myself, and yet they are so afraid of the very idea of my voice. They silenced me before I could even speak. These men, with their weak belief in their own strength and power, they are so afraid of losing their control that they seek to destroy everything around them for fear of losing what they have. They looked at me with my head held high and saw their own destruction reflected back in my eyes. My very presence was a threat to everything they held dear. I could see the questions as if they were written on their faces. What if I tried to take what was theirs? What if I tried to be something other than the subservient creature they wanted me to be? What would happen to them and the lives that they lead if I tried to be something other than exactly what I was? Would I insist upon making their lives harder? Would I be taking away all that made their lives good and fair and beautiful by demanding that it be fair and beautiful for me as well? It was too big a risk. They had too much to lose. All of that power and strength, luxury and ego that comes from being in control was at stake. But they made one grave miscalculation, one fatal mistake that would cost them everything. They forgot that a person with nothing has nothing to lose. Remember this, my friends. Remember that they cannot take from you what you no longer have. So demand more, expect more, and if they do not give it, then make their lives hell. Take up so much space in their presence that they can scarcely breathe for want of air. Be the demon that walks their dreams and haunts their days. They already don't like you because they already fear what you could be to them. So make it real. Don't be afraid. Remember, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. My dear, if you are reading this, then I implore you to do what I never could and end this cycle. Stop playing into their games and their tricks and make them regret ever trying to pull you in. Become the hunter. Make them the ones upon whom you prey in all your magnificent glory. And if you can't do that, well, at the very least, you can drag them down into hell with you, laughing all the while as you do. You are so cool. <laughs> you put your rage into a rhyme scheme. You are my hero. Oh my god, I love you. I love that I have a friend who's like, oh my god, you were so angry you wrote poetry. <laughs> and genuinely is excited by that. <laughs> oh, that was so satisfying. Oh, I've just been frustrated by men lately i mean this story but just also i've had a couple interactions that have just left me feeling a little frustrated so right, right. humans knew that you were reading some history about women getting killed and they just really came through with some modern frustration yeah they wanted me to really feel it and get into the mindset 
So I just was, I was falling asleep one night and the first chunk of that poem came into my head. Did you type it on the notes app on your phone? Yes. (laughs) I can send you a picture of it. (laughs) Oh, I've done that. (laughs) I knew if I didn't do it, I would forget. (laughs) I wrote the entire Mary Shelley story letter thing that I wrote on the notes app on my phone in the wee hours. The Willing and Fable podcast is made on the notes app in the wee hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And so I started doing the poem and then I was like, well, I don't know that I can sustain a full poem for all that I want to get out because what I really wanted to capture was the frustration that comes from seeing through when someone's trying to behave that way towards you. When you can see that it's coming from a place of insecurity and fear, but you are still powerless to stop it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I couldn't get all of that across in a poem, so that's why the first line of the of monologue actually was originally the next line of the poem or actually no the second line of it because i added the first line of the i wanted to say because these women get so maligned that no matter what you really are you are not what they claim you to be but the first line of the fourth stanza was going to be they claim that i'm wicked wild and raw Mm. and then i i could not keep it guys It takes so long to write a poem, and I had so many complex thoughts to get across. (laughs) Could you imagine being socialized to hold your tongue more than you and I are? To operate in a society in which you don't even get the level of agency that we have in social situations to fire back. And that's variable. In your personal life, you can do things that you can't do in a work setting, for example. Right. But... What these women have is not even a, a, nothing. A, a, um, an ounce of what we have. No, nothing. Not even because at least we do have support mm-hmm. in varying degrees. And what's the worst that happens is people aren't going to like us, which also is why I put that line in there of they already don't like you. So just make them regret that because so much of being a woman. To me today in a situation like this is that we're so conditioned to be likable and to be kind and to be good and to be nice that I have hindered myself because I'm afraid of seeming like a bitch or not nice. The freedom to be disagreeable is a big deal. When you can free yourself up to make a decision because it is the right one, not the popular one, Mm -hmm. you're operating on a whole different level. Women are not taught traditionally to be as disagreeable as men are. It is not accepted in the same way. No. And it's different words are used. I hear it at work all the time. Men debate things. They have discussions. But women are disagreeable. I don't know if I've ever heard a man described as disagreeable. Really? And if I have, it's not nearly as much as a woman. It's so interesting because the conversations that I have in my personal life when I disagree with another non-man go so much better and are so much more polite and respectful than the conversations I have where I disagree with a man. Just, just generally speaking, 
Yeah, I can see that. I think people socialized as women tend to be taught to communicate with words more. It's it's fascinating because this is such a broad generalization conversation that we're making about a it is. small subset of world history. Because it seems as we're discussing it that it it is all-encompassing, especially because these ideas and this culture migrated in a very fascinating mm-hmm. way. But this is not all culture and this is not the world. We just can see so clearly the trickle-down effect through the generations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Witches, bitches. Witches, or, bitches. Or rather, witches, man. <laughs> witches, man. I love it. It makes me so happy. Uh, so that was... That is the history of the Malleus Maleficarum, which I knew as a book about witches. I, I always just thought of it as, oh, it's that book about witches, the same way that there's a whole thing about demonology and all the demons. But I never realized the depths of which it is one man spurned by one woman writing a whole book about why women are sad and horny and we should kill them for it. I had no idea. How often does that happen to us on this podcast? Oh, all the time. This podcast is just an exploration of us thinking we know something about everything and realizing we know nothing at all about anything. Right. I feel like you and I go into many weeks saying, okay, I know a little bit about this thing. I have a jumping off point and then going, oh, I kind of knew nothing. Oh, yeah. It turns out I jumped off right into the deep end of shark infested waters. The sharks being... German clergymen. Yeah. The sharks (laughs) always being German clergymen. (laughs) Just swimming around. Their little heads bobbing. (laughs) Tracy, I feel like you came in here with so much rage. And frankly, it was satisfying as heck to cover this (laughs) with you. I love that you always go on these journeys with me. You're just like, yes, what you're feeling, I'm feeling. What you're experiencing, I'm into. Let's do this. Winky face, let's go. (laughs) Winky face, let's go. You're so angry you wrote a poem. That makes me like you more as a person. Can we quickly double back to that? The fact that you were so angry you wrote a poem is just truly, I think, (laughs) that you were made to exist in the same space as me. Like, whatever happened in the universe, star stuff, or the fates, or, I don't know, Hecate or Frey or whomever were like, you, rage poem girl, you, sad poem girl, is gonna be great. <laughs> I We've always been poetry friend. We've always loved poetry. It's always had a special place in our hearts in a way that I don't know anyone else in my life who feels like that oh yeah tumblr poetry at all times i am one step away from having a bad blog (laughs) yes i'm one step away from carrying a quill and ink and journal with me everywhere i go so i can write poems about everything i feel i carry a notebook with me wherever i go that i feel like is to me totally normal and acceptable and i have a really nice pen in my purse right now Ooh, i'm so i can't do really nice pens because i'm left-handed and i smear it Here's the thing, though. It's a ballpoint pen. It doesn't smear. That's why it's in my purse, because it won't uh, decide to explode and punish me for something I did in a past existence. Mm. It's not about the nice. It's about the accessibility, you know? Yes, I do know. Yes. 
So this this episode was so satisfying. The fact that the fact that we're in witch territory now, it just it's Halloween, baby. It's Halloween. Oh, and um, I'm so excited for spooky season. So someone on TikTok made a video, and I don't know who created the sound originally, but it was basically, you know, if Target and Walmart and whomever else, Macy's, can put out the Christmas decorations during Halloween, then we can put out the Halloween decorations as early as we want to. Fourth of July's mm-hmm. over, now it's Halloween. I, that kind of energy. <laughs> yes, that is the energy. Absolutely. Screw what I said about my birthday needed to happen first, which already happened, so it's fine. I can say that now. But it's fall. I made myself a coffee this morning with maple vanilla spiced cold foam. Can you actually talk to me about cold foam and how it works, please? The way that I do it is a little bit of half and half, a little bit of heavy cream, like whipping cream. Ooh. And then I, for this one this morning, put in pumpkin spice, vanilla syrup. No, actually, vanilla extract. Pumpkin spice, vanilla extract, and some maple syrup. And then I took a milk frother, that little stick with the spinny thing at the end, Mm -hmm. and frothed it up until it was nice and fluffy and Mm -hmm. poured it on top of my coffee. I want one of those little cup things that you put the milk in, and you can also make it heat the milk, but it whips it up for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are good, too. Those are good, too. I'm doing that. I'm getting one. Anyway, Tracy, aside from your cold foam, tell Mm -hmm. me something good. My something good is that I got my order from Death and Floral Perfumes, which (gasps) is something that you and me and Kaylee talked about. Oh, you've been waiting to get this. You've been so excited. I, I texted you two the moment it came in because I was so excited because they do these perfumes that kind of represent liminal spaces, which someone asked me what that was the other day. And it's basically those spaces out of time. Mm-hmm. Think think a gas station parking lot at midnight with that kind of green fluorescent glow and empty grocery store early in the morning. Just those weird spaces that feel out of time. A diner any time of the day. A diner. A diner any time of the day. So... My favorites, my two favorites out of the ones I got were half hoping to be eaten by a bear, <laughs> which is shockingly subtle. And it, it just is this beautiful woodsy scent, very subtle and lovely. My other one was, I was born a bitch. I was born a painter. <laughs> the names are great. They're amazing. They're amazing. It smells like an art studio in an English chateau on a sunny day. Like so it just has turpentine and oil paint and it lavender? smells like how you imagine the studio in the book of Dorian Gray or the portrait of Dorian Gray hmm. would smell like smoky because someone's been smoking a cigar in the corner while a painter is doing their thing and there's sun streaming in through the window onto a table with a vase full of bright yellow flowers wow that was awfully specific okay cool. i know I, it's just this image that like speared its way into my brain as soon as i smelled this perfume i texted you as soon as they came in and described every single scent to you and kaylee in excruciating detail and i will continue to do so as i wear them throughout the days 
I mean, my response is the same as it was when you texted. If you don't bring them when you visit me, this friendship is over. Fair and valid. All right, Rowan, it's your turn. Tell me something good. Okay, so Kaylee invited me to this event that a friend of hers, Caroline, who has stark white hair and looks exactly like how you imagine a hot young witch should look, just Ooh, for the record. Mm-hmm. So she was working on this event, and it has these huge screens of all kinds in this giant studio warehouse space that is playing videos of flowers blooming, and mm. the music was so vibey, and there were... It was basically like walking into the most fun use of LED screen technology you can imagine. Ooh, I love that. And they had St. Germain cocktails that were quite yummy and Mm -hmm. Liquid Death Water, which is a brand that I love. And the fact that Kaylee thought of me as her, like, art opening friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are. You are the the ultimate art opening friend. I really appreciate that. I really do. And Caroline is just so talented to have brought this whole event together. And so we got to go to kind of the pre-opening mm-hmm. opening. And it was just really fun. We stayed the whole time. So we got to be in there after everyone was gone. So we mm-hmm. had the whole space to ourselves. And it was just really nice to be in a space with a type of art that I don't myself work on. Mm -hmm. Because I spend a lot of time around artists and working on projects, but I've never done anything like that. And so it was really inspiring. And it, it felt relaxing and energizing in a really unique, fun way. Ooh, yeah. It sounds invigorating. Yeah. And Anything that can happen during the day, I believe, is better at night. So walking into this dark, lit up, big screen, music-y place at night was just so delicious. That is the only That's way awesome. I can think to describe it. Yeah. That's so cool. And in case anyone was wondering, because we keep mentioning her, all the gosh darn time, truly Kaylee's the best. Oh, absolutely. Kaylee is wonderful. A gift. And if you haven't yet, you should go back and listen to our two-part series on Bluebeard, which Kaylee hosted. She's an exceptional writer, and her research is just so thorough and engaging. Oh, my God. So thorough, and she's just wonderful. I I mean, I can't say enough good things about Kaylee. Go follow her on all the social medias. Yeah. She's Hapa Barbarian. Yes, yeah, she's Hoppa Barbarian on Twitter. She created Damsel's Dice and Everything Nice, which is an all-princess mm-hmm. Twitch stream. She's just constantly making amazing, amazing work. Yeah. So apparently Kaylee, is our something good? <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Our our text chain that we called Curse brings me joy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember... Stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon. Okay?
Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch. Or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. (laughs) 